Stand for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 18. And what we're going to do, just so you know, uh, normally after we read the Scripture, we have a prayer for illumination, and we'd ask the Lord to help us see clearly what He has for us in His Word. And uh, this morning we're all going to pray the prayer of illumination uh, as we sing, Open the Eyes of My Heart. It's a familiar song from many, many years ago, and uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that you'll know it. Uh, so after I, I finish reading, uh, the, the text will sing together. This is the word of the Lord, Ephesians 1, 15 <clears throat> through 18. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's sing. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see There's this movie scene that I love, and it happens in a lot of movies. I'm sure they have a name for it in Hollywood. I don't know what it is, but <clears throat> they probably call it like the fall and grab or something. You know what I'm talking about? It's in the scene, one of the characters falls or gets thrown off or kicked off the edge of a cliff or some other precipice like a tall building. And just as they go over the edge, they grab a root or a branch, or like a gargoyle statue leg, or a, maybe a, a piece of dental molding on the top. You know what I'm talking about? It's like this brute strength to just hold on. And you, and you know the scene that comes next, right? Just as their grip fails, and they let go, another hand enters the frame and grabs them. Have you guys seen this? I wasn't the only one to watch movies in the 1980s, right? And it, it pulls him up to safety. 
Well, last night I saw what Hollywood must call the double fallen grab. In this scene, before the rescuer can pull the fallen to safety, some object knocks the rescuer over the edge, and then he grabs the gargoyle's foot, right? And you guessed it. A third hand comes into the frame and grabs onto him. And now there's a new rescuer trying to pull them both up. At this moment, the math kicks in on me, and I'm thinking, no way. That guy's 200 pounds, that guy's 200. I'm thinking of things I know that weigh 400 pounds, whether I could hold. It's impossible, but in Hollywood it works. Maybe this morning you feel like you have to rescue somebody or two somebodies. But you fear that you will not have the strength to do it. Or maybe you yourself are feeling like you are in desperate need of rescue. And you wonder, will another hand ever come into the frame? Or worse, you feel like the guy in the middle, bearing both burdens Feeling the exhausting weight, the tug on both arms, both to rescue and to be rescued. Is there any hope? There's hope, friends. There is hope. And this morning we're going to look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And we're going to find the answer to this question. Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for the ones for whom I feel such a burden to rescue? Now, for you note takers, we're going to look at three aspects of Paul's prayer this morning. The motivation for Paul's prayer, the content of his prayer, and his desired result of this prayer. Paul's motivation for prayer, the content of his prayer, and the desired result of his prayer. Now in verses 3 through 14, the great run-on sentence, Paul has just praised God for how he has chosen the Ephesians and all who would put their faith in Christ. He chose them to be his people before he even made the world. And in verse 11, Paul says that in Christ we have already obtained an inheritance in Christ. Over and over in these verses, Paul talks about how our salvation is a done deal. And when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, the work of redemption that had been sealed in eternity was accomplished in space and time. God's sovereign election of his people from before the foundation of the world is settled. God's sovereign grace is on display in verses 3 through 14, isn't it? So, In my sinful, fallen heart, I find it strange what Paul does next. He prays. Now, to be sure, he starts this prayer with thanksgiving. That makes sense. That makes sense. But we'll see, he quickly moves to intercession and supplication. In other words, he lifts the Ephesians up to the Lord and he asks for something else for them. 
Friends, right here before us is a great tension. It's a great tension. It's the tension between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Now, if you don't feel that, someday you will. At least we in the 21st century see it as a tension. Paul didn't. And Jesus didn't. But for some reason, we do. Let me ask, have you ever wondered if God is sovereign over all things and his will cannot be stopped, why pray? I have. I've asked that question. I've spent sleepless nights thinking about it. I've read theology books. I've listened to sermons. When I was about 20 years old, this question was driving me insane. I had first been exposed to the doctrines of election and predestination and the sovereignty of God over all things, and I was knocked off my chair. And so I called my childhood pastor at night, late, inappropriately late, And I drove to his house and I sat on his front porch and I asked him this question. If God is sovereign, why should we bother praying? Now in love and respect and thankfulness for this precious man and all the theologians and preachers that I had consulted on this issue, let me say, I never got an answer that satisfied me. Until a few years later. You see, I'm persistent. And a new pastor came to our church. And I asked him, Pastor, if God is sovereign over all things and even over salvation, why should we bother to pray? There just seems to be such a tension between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And my friend Mike helped me more than anyone before or since. He said, Eric, when God intentionally leaves tension in his word, do not try to explain it away. Live in it. When God intentionally leaves tension in his word, resist the temptation to find an easy answer. Rather, live in it. Sometimes trusting God means living in the tension. Now this may seem like an early sermon rabbit trail, earlier than you would ever hear. But it's not. Paul says he prayed. Even believing all that, we need to stare this down. And even as I seek to live in this tension and seek to even understand it better, we have to live in it. And a few years ago, I heard a preacher turn this question on its head. Stay with me. He asked his congregation, if God is not sovereign over all things and even over salvation, then why in the world would you bother praying? especially for your unsaved friends. Now, honestly, isn't that a better question? If God's not sovereign, why would we bother praying? 
if he were not able to affect the change or give the blessing or change the, the heart that we're asking him to affect, give, or change, why in the world would we pray? Here's the point. Paul has just laid down the scriptural gauntlet of God's sovereignty over all things, including the salvation of his people. And the very thing he does next is tell us what he was praying about. The sovereignty of God doesn't hinder or negate Paul's prayers. It's the very foundation or motivation of prayer. Do you know how we know that? Look at verse 15 again. For this reason, and he's talking about the faith and the love, the faith that the Ephesians have in Christ and the love they have for one another, for that reason, because I've heard of your faith and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You, just, you still don't see it? Listen, here's what he doesn't say. I've heard about your faith in Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So I'm writing this letter to tell you what good people you are. I sure am glad you were able to hold on to that gargoyle's leg long enough to somehow get back to the top of the building. No. No. He says, I heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for all the saints. So I prayed to God because he's the one that did it. And I thanked him for doing this work in you. This work that he set in motion before the foundation of the world. And he is now working into your lives in space and time. That's Paul's motivation for prayer. Paul's motivation for prayer is the sovereign, electing love of God for his people. And that's why he's so confident to pray. The sovereignty of God doesn't hinder his prayers. It sets them on fire. Seeing God grant faith and love to the Ephesians fires Paul up. And he is overflowing with thanksgiving. And he says, I haven't even stopped praying for you. I can't stop praying for you. I cannot stop thanking God, the Father of glory, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for giving you faith and growing in you love. Wow. But you know what? He goes on. He actually asks for more, doesn't he? Let's look at the, the real content of this prayer. Look at verse 17. Paul says, I remember you in my prayers praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul prays that God would enlighten the hearts of the Ephesians. That he would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? The knowledge of God. We just sang, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. That's what Paul wants for the Ephesians. Now again, we have to ask this question. If all that stuff in verses 3 through 14 is true, then why do they need anything else? I mean, really, why do they need anything else? Paul is asking God to make real, make real to people 
temporally, in space and time, what is already true of them eternally. This is so key. Is God real to you? Be honest with yourself. It's okay. Be honest with yourself. Does God most of the time seem real to you? Or is he just someone you believe in distantly? You may say, Eric, I believe the gospel. I really do. I've put my trust in Christ alone. But no, I don't feel like I know him. I don't feel like I know him very well. Most of the time, I don't understand him very well. God seems distant to me. His ways confuse me. I believe, but I've stopped hoping it'll ever be any better than it is right now. You know what Paul would do if you said that to him? He'd pray for you. He'd pray for you right now. In fact, that's what I'm going to do. I want us to all pray, either for ourselves or someone else in this room, that God would give us the Spirit. His Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation would come and enlighten our hearts that we could see God and He wouldn't feel distant. I'm going to pray that right now. I invite you to pray with me. Father, even in the midst of this sermon, we're struck by sometimes the hopelessness and the rut that we can get into, and how distant you can seem at times, I pray that just as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, Holy Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would grant us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of revelation and wisdom, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we might see you and know you, that we would realize you are as close as you really are. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May it be, right? May it be. Now let me ask the congregation a question. What is man's chief end? It's not rhetorical. What is man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Some of my Sunday school class, I heard you. I prepped them. That's right. Did you know that forever starts right now? It starts right now. If you're waiting for the next age to start enjoying God, you're missing out. You're missing out. Now that is not a condemnation, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God, because of the purpose of his own will and good pleasure, and not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you've done, has set his love on you and given you every spiritual blessing in Christ, in the heavenly realms, and even now wants you to know and enjoy him. And this is why we need wisdom and revelation about God. We need God himself. Jesus came to earth to show himself to us and be with us. Friends, until you are redeemed, you cannot enjoy God. If you are not in Christ this morning and you think you're enjoying God, what you are enjoying is not God. 
the story is told before Martin Luther understood the gospel. Someone said to him, Brother Martin, do you love God? Listen to his response. Love God? You ask me if I love God? Sometimes I hate God. I see Christ as a consuming judge who is simply looking at me to evaluate me and visit infliction upon me. Is that how you see God? Well, you'll never enjoy him. In fact, you'll hate him. And trying to serve him in your own strength will make you hate him even more. Christ is the righteous judge, and he will return to judge this earth. But friends, if you are in Christ, hear the good news. You have already inherited a, obtained a great inheritance. You are already in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Martin Luther hated God because he tried so hard to live perfectly and knew he couldn't. He was angry that he knew his works would never be enough. Paul prayed the Ephesians would grow more and more in their knowledge of God and his great grace and his love that their eyes would be enlightened. God wants us to see the world differently than others. God wants his people to see the world in the context of his story. It's the true story. And Paul asked God, open the eyes of the hearts of these people that they would experience every moment of life in reference to who you are and what you are doing in this world. Here's what I mean. Now, anyone who's ever bought a new or used or different vehicle will get this. In 1995, I bought a black Ford Ranger. It was a tiny death trap, and I loved it. And before that day, I'm not sure I'd ever even noticed another black Ford Ranger. I mean, I'm sure I'd seen one. I'd never noticed one before. Guys, in the month that followed my purchase of that truck, I know I saw 300 black Ford Rangers. Has anyone experienced this? You know what I'm talking about? The eyes of your eyes had been enlightened. These trucks seem to be everywhere I looked. My eyes had been opened to the existence of the black Ford Ranger. And once my eyes had been trained to see them, I saw them. Everywhere. All the time. For years. My eyes had been enlightened. Trucks that had always been there all around me were now on my radar. This is what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. God, open the eyes of their hearts that they can see and experience all the richness of their salvation that's always been theirs, that's always been true. Don't just see, perceive. That's what he's saying. Have your eyes, Lord, train our eyes to see you everywhere, all the time. Everywhere we look, that we would see God and his story and our part in it.
Am I saying, listen, take a week off. Hike by yourself up to some high place on the Appalachian Trail and meditate and hope God reveals wisdom and revelation to you about himself. Is that what I'm saying? No, but if you want to go hike the AT, go for it. And by all means, meditate on the goodness of God while you're there. See his greatness as creator of this amazing world. But Paul is clear in Romans 1. Friends, we need more than that. We need special, particular revelation of who God is. And we get that from his word. The ministry of the word of God in our lives is how we truly see God. That's how our hearts are enlightened. If God is going to grant you a trustworthy, deeper understanding of who he is and wisdom for living, it will happen by the Spirit of God, through and with the Word of God, not apart from it. So avail yourselves, willingly and gladly, to the means of grace that God has laid out for us. The word being primary and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer and fellowship with other believers. In short, be part of a local church. This one or some other one that holds Jesus up, that proclaims the scriptures, that will show you God. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Be sure you are under it and in it and around it. That's the content of Paul's prayer. That God would give us enlightened hearts to see him and know him and live our lives in reference to him at all times. Paul has one more thing to ask. One more thing. Look at verse 18. It's the desired result of all this wisdom and revelation and enlightenment. Hope. Hope. That you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. There is hope for the man in the middle. If you're feeling the tug and struggle this morning, here is good news for you. Paul prayed for all those blessings and wisdom and revelation and enlightenment that we would know God and know there is hope in Him. But it's better than hope. (laughs) It's actually better than hope. You know why? Paul uses the word hope here. He does not mean what we usually mean. For example, I hope, Lord, I hope, that Derrick Henry fully recovers from foot surgery before the Titans' first playoff game. That's hope. I hope he does. You may hope that you get this promotion at work next week. And often we hope the doctor calls and tells us that the test is negative. What do all these kinds of hopes have in common? The outcomes are uncertain, aren't they? That's okay. We can admit that. Some of the things that we pray for, the outcomes are uncertain. We don't know what God's good will and purpose will be in those situations. That is not what Paul means here. Christian hope 
in reference to the future of the saints is what one writer called confident anticipation. There are those things that we can't be certain that God will grant us in this life, but when it comes to our salvation and future forever with the Lord, there is certainty for the believer. Hope is certainty. A confident anticipation to a future that will come to pass. How do we know? Well, Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What God started before the world began, he will finish when the world is remade. Do you believe that? That is Christian hope. He will finish what he started in us. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. So I pray for us that God will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and that he will open the eyes of our hearts and minds to see him, to experience him, to enjoy him, and forever starts now. That's Christian hope. It's the great salvation that we have in Christ that God brought to us. You know, when Hollywood films the grab and fall, or the double grab and fall, I've not seen a triple. It's out there. There's something we viewers can't see. You ever think about that? See, we don't have the perspective to see it. Our eyes are not allowed to see it. We can't see the firm platform that sits about six inches below the fallen. Are you feeling the tug this morning? Do you feel like at any moment your last two fingers are going to loosen their grip and you're going to fall headlong to your death? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead stands in opposition to your fear. You may not get the promotion. Derrick Henry may be sidelined. The doctor may call with results we don't want. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But don't be afraid. I've overcome the world. If the Lord tarries, that last enemy is going to catch us all. But it will not be the end. What I want us to see this morning, that even in the midst of a life that can be so hard at times, there is great hope. Christ has done all things well, and in him we have eternal life. Let's ask the Lord to give us wisdom and revelation and enlightenment by his spirit and through his word so that our eyes will be on radar to see the great hope to which he has called us. And you know what will happen? Throughout your week, when the tug is so weighty and intense and you feel like your arms are going to be ripped off from it, you'll remember there's firm hope directly beneath you. And you will more and more learn to live in your hope rather than in your own strength. Let it go and let the Lord catch you. That's the hope.
Let him open our eyes to see it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the great salvation, the great salvation that you have wrought in the lives of your people from the foundation of the world. Lord, teach us to pray. We don't understand how it works all the time. Help us live in the tension. Let us pray for ourselves and for others that, that we might have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to see you and enjoy you and experience you and to feel the security of being in Christ. And most of all, to know him, to love him, to meditate on him and enjoy him. And we pray in his name. Amen.